body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your word and how we need it so. Let it direct our thoughts and our actions. And God, let us rejoice knowing what Christ has done on the cross to save us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What does a CEO of a multi-million dollar company, the heir to a family fortune, a man who struck oil all over the state of Texas, the highest paid football player in the NFL, and a homeless man all have in common? They all die. On judgment day, all their bank accounts will be zeroed out. From the CEO to the homeless man. They will stand before a holy God and they will not be able to say to him, look at my savings account. Look at what I've attained. Look at what I've I've accumulated. From the least to the greatest, all accounts will be zeroed out before a holy God. And that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6. 19 through 24. He's coming, he's saying, look, disciples, people, follow me. And he's coming to make disciples and make new people. And in that, he's coming to change their hearts and their minds on things, to change how they look at things. Is that these people, these disciples, they're characterized by loving their enemies, telling the truth, praying, fasting with dependence on God. These are what disciples of Christ look like. And he says, In here, 19 through 24, they even have ways that they think about money and about possessions and about wealth. Disciples of Christ are characterized by what they do, how they relate with money. Now, this seems sort of taboo in our culture. We we really don't talk about money because money has kind of been deemed a private matter, almost. Look, it's not really your business to talk about my money. I earned it, I keep it, I do with it what I want. Money has become a private matter in the church and in the world. It's become taboo. But that is not Jesus' view of the conversation. Jesus says this is not off the table when we talk about money and possessions. Is that in making disciples, he comes and he changes their thinking on things. He changes their, their view of things. And so even on money, he changes their view of what they're supposed to do with it and how to relate with it. He comes to revolutionize about how they think about spending money and acquiring possessions. Which leads us to what the world believes and what Jesus believes about money and possessions and acquiring things. And this will be the four, first point on your outline, is that there's two competing worldviews here. You have Jesus' worldview, Jesus' view of money and possessions, and then you have the world's view of money and possessions. And let me just, let's, let's go at the world's view of money and possessions first. It's defined under materialism. You've probably heard this word, but here's what you might hear from materialism or the world's view. They say, get all you can in this life. The bigger, the faster, the stronger, the nicer, the shinier, the more expensive is always better. This life is about things and things make you happy. Do whatever you need to get the almighty dollar. More money makes you move, uh, makes you feel more comfortable and happier. God is happy when we are rich. Wealth is a sign of God's favor. Step on whoever you have to to get to the top. A person's life consists in the abundance of possessions. And last, it's characterized as the best, 
the one with the most toys at the end wins. That's, that's what the world says. Those are things the world says. Materialism. They say, get what you can now. Let me just tell you what Jesus says. It's a, a very clear statement. Matthew 16, 26. He says this. This is his view on money. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? So you can see, both these views are in contradiction to one another. They're contradictory. The world says, accumulate, get all you can now. And Jesus says, you are endangering your soul if your life is about mere collection and gathering and attaining and accumulating things. It's endangering your soul when you think like that. Now, I just want to caveat before we even jump in the text uh, that Jesus... Jesus' message here is not saying you can't be rich. He's not saying that you can't be successful. He's not saying that you can't have money and spend money. He's not saying that you need to go out and sell all your possessions and be homeless. He's not saying those things. He's saying it's actually much deeper than that. It's a heart issue. Jesus' message is this, is that his disciples are not characterized by the hot pursuit of wealth and possessions. His disciples are not Their life is not about just accumulation, just getting things just to be rich. That's not the objective of the Christian life. The world hotly pursues riches and wealth and possessions. But Christ's disciples, they see riches, they see money, not as possessions to just be obtained, but as gifts from God and resources to be used for his kingdom. Now, just just let me say that one more time is that the world says accumulate and get things, and Jesus says, look, money is about this. It's not the objective of your life, of the disciple's life. It's about using money as a resource to advance his kingdom. And so Jesus is going to point out here in, in 19 through 24, what are the dangers of just accumulation? How is this tempting? And then he's going to just warn us Don't get caught in this trap of just wanting things, wanting possessions. The first point on your outline is this, the dangers of accumulation. Transience, insecurity, and a divided heart. I read a Time Time Magazine article this past week, uh, which had some very interesting interesting facts in it. They did an article on the weirdest uh, world records. Now just listen to this, uh, because these two really astounded me. In 2000, Ann Atkins set the record, record for the largest collection of garden gnomes with 2010. That's more than my hometown. She has more garden gnomes in her front yard than I have in my hometown. What an odd thing to collect. They're kind of creepy, honestly. So 2010. And then a guy by the name of Val Kopakov came away with the largest collection of toothpaste tubes. I don't know why you would see the need to keep those, but he has 2,037 of them. Interesting, right? Collecting and accumulating things and kind of hoarding these things. But that's what Jesus means when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I hope that gives you a good picture of what that word means. He's talking about collection and gathering in and hoarding in just for selfish desires, just to have more. He's saying, this is a dangerous thing to selfishly hoard things, to try and get all you can in this life, 
just so that you can have more and be the one who has the most. It's dangerous. And it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. Why don't, why don't you want to store up treasures here on earth? Well, he says because they're transient. They're fleeting. They break. They mold. They decay. They can be stolen from you. They have a short lifespan. And this is no better illustrated than uh, my growing up. You know, I, I was a, a really uh, rambunctious child, I guess you could say. And, uh, <laughs> and if my mom were here, she would tell you what her uh, famous phrase is, is that, and you'd probably say it, uh, I can't ever have anything nice. I don't know if some, some of you say that. It's actually transferred over to my wife now. She says the same thing to me now. And so, uh, I can't ever have anything nice. I break something. I can't have anything nice. And that illustrates the point that Jesus is talking about with transience. Like, things have a lifespan. Things break. Things mold. Things decay. Things deteriorate. They do not last forever. So Jesus is warning and saying, look, if you put your hope in these things, you're going to be left empty and unfulfilled because they can be stolen from you. They will be broken, and they will leave you unsatisfied. And second, he's saying they're insecure as well. You can't really secure these things. As he says, thieves break in and steal. So it doesn't matter if you have the strongest bank or the most guarded bank in the world. Things can be stolen from you. So things are fleeting. Things are insecure. And he says, also, the Bible gives us this picture of you gain wealth only to give it to somebody else. Listen to the psalmist when he says this. Psalm 49.10 says, for he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike, must perish and leave their wealth to others. And then verses 16 through 20 says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perishes. He's saying, not only is acquiring things bad because they're transient, they don't last, not only is it because you can't secure them, but what do you do with them when you die? They get passed off. They're not even yours anymore. You have a short time to enjoy them. And while I was looking on that that Time Magazine article, I, I found another crazy thing. 1988, Blackie, which is a cat, became the wealthiest cat in the world when its owner died and gave it $12.5 million. So not only is it absurd that we attain riches just to give them to other people, it gets so absurd that they give them to cats. Like, that's how absurd attaining riches is and accumulating these things. We don't even give it to human beings when we die. (laughs) It's crazy. It's sad. And so Jesus says, look, if you're going to store up treasures here on earth, be ready because they're transient, they're insecure, and you cannot take them with you. If you want to put it in just a very simple line, what Jesus is trying to get at, it says, you're never going to see a U-Haul following a hearse. You will never see a U-Haul following a hearse because you cannot take it with you. Do not do this. He's saying, disciples, you're, you're absurd to think that these things will last. So he says, okay, don't put treasures, your treasure here on earth, but put them in heaven. What, what does he mean by that? What does it mean to store up things in heaven? 
Chuck Quarles says this in his commentary. He says, collecting treasures in heaven refers to acquiring heavenly reward through righteous deeds. So we store up things in heaven through righteous deeds, and it's exactly what we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the righteous acts of the disciple, is that he tells the truth, he lives morally, he prays, and he fasts. And we've already seen rewards here already in chapter 6. Is that that's how the disciple stores up things in heaven. It's through righteous deeds. Now, we're not doing deeds to attain righteousness, as Nick has already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually, we've been made righteous by Jesus Christ giving us his righteousness, and now we act righteously in this world. And isn't it such a gracious thing? Just think about this. Such a gracious thing that God gives us righteousness, and then he rewards us for that righteousness. Isn't that crazy? How crazy merciful and gracious God is? He gives righteousness, and he rewards us for those righteous acts. An incredibly merciful and gracious God. So he says, rather than accumulating wealth and accumulating riches, store up treasures for yourself in heaven by living out the characteristics described in the Sermon on the Mount. Because there, it's a much greater reward. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19, and we'll come back to this. He says this to the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves in heaven. He's saying, look, use your riches to be generous in this world because in that you are storing up for yourself treasure in heaven that cannot be touched by moth, rust, or thieves. But then Jesus makes this statement in 21, very very powerful yet very common thing that we hear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does Jesus talk about the heart here? What, What does it have to do with the heart? I accumulate possessions with my hands. Well, Jesus is saying it's not just about your hands, that accumulating possessions is about your heart. What you accumulate, what you try to get, wealth and possessions, it reveals what you truly love. That's what he's getting at when he says that about the heart. He says, what you truly love is what you'll try to accumulate, what you'll try to get more of. And so at the end of the day, you, you can ask yourself your question. this question that says, do I love God more than I love money? Is my first thing when I wake up in the morning is that go to work, let's get money so we can get more things. Because that's what he's talking about is that it reveals the state of your own heart. If your desire is to accumulate money and wealth and possessions, then you love money and wealth and possessions more than you love God. The next point on your outline is this, the dangers of accumulation stinginess, greed, and a divided focus. We all know that the dangers in prescription drugs is that prescription drugs are, are prescribed to help you get over a sickness or to help you, help you with something that you're dealing with in, in your body, but only a sinful humanity can take something that was intended to be a resource to help you and use it through excess and addiction to your own demise. And isn't that the same thing with money? Is that money, what the Bible presents, what Jesus talks about, is money is to be a resource to use for advancing God's kingdom, to helping the poor and the needy. But we have taken it and we've twisted the view of money. And we've made it the thing that we just want more of. 
It's no longer a resource. It's actually a poison that we drink. And so, money is not the enemy of God. You may, people may present that money as the enemy of God. Money is not the enemy of God. And that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10 is that money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not inherently evil. Money itself is not the enemy of God. It's the person who holds the dollar bill. He's sinful. He's evil. So money is not the enemy of God, but it's be used as a resource to advance God's kingdom. And so this is what Jesus is getting at in verse 22 and 23. He talks about this eye, this good eye, this healthy eye, and this bad eye. Why does, why does Jesus talk about an eye? It seems so odd, verse 22 and 23. It seems kind of out of place here. But it's actually very intentional that Jesus uses the eye when he talks about money and wealth. And so what is a good eye and what is a bad eye? We kind of have to look at the book of Proverbs and see that. And I'll just read a couple of things for you. In Proverbs 22, 9, it says this. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Literally, probably in your footnotes in Proverbs 22, 9, it says, the good eye. Literally, the good eye. Proverbs 23, 6. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Stingy there. Literally, bad eye. And then Proverbs 28, 2. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Stingy there, a bad eye. So Jesus is making making a separation. The person with a healthy or good eye is the person who is generous. The person with the bad eye is the person who is stingy and greedy. That's the distinction he's making. And so why is being greedy or having a bad eye so dangerous? It's because it blurs our focus. It blurs our focus. We have a divided focus. And we all know what it feels like to have blurred vision, not to be able to see straight, kind of not see what reality actually is. And that's what money does when we put it in front of our face. It blinds us to actually kingdom realities, how the world actually works. We put money as the first thing, and it blinds us to opportunities and situations around us where we can advance God's kingdom through serving the poor and the needy and the helpless. It's a danger because it blinds us. And not only that, not only does greediness blind us, but greediness is actually anti-gospel. It's anti-Christ. As you know, again, to refer to 2 Corinthians 8, is that it says this about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus being rich, he becomes poor, so that we, the poor people, might become rich in him. So greediness stinginess is actually anti-gospel it's anti-christ's own character and so if we are his people the people who are to be made new by him and reflect his character and traits then we cannot be greedy because it's saying that's against christ because his nature and character was not greedy and not only is Greediness bad because it blinds or because it's anti-gospel, but it actually morally corrupts us. It corrupts the whole entire being. The eye is bad, and that's why he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. Ultimately, greediness leads a person to more sin and more heinous sin. And, and I want to read this verse for you. If you want, you can turn over there. 
it'd be good to put your eye on is 1 Timothy 6.10. And just, just look at this with me. It says this in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this, through this being the love of money, craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Now, we want to say, well, greediness isn't that bad. Greediness is simple. It's tolerable. You know, everybody does it. Look at the danger of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10. Greediness could lead you to denying Jesus Christ and unbelief. It's way more heinous than we want to make it out to be. He says, some by this craving of loving money have been led to leave Christ. That's how dangerous accumulating wealth and possessions is. is that It could potentially lead you to walking away from the faith. It's not tolerable. We shouldn't belittle it. shouldn't make it simple. It's dangerous. And the next one is this, the dangers of accumulation. Worship and a divided allegiance. I don't know if any of you are history buffs in here. I, I am. A, I particularly like the American Revolution. But if anybody knows this name, Benedict Arnold, it's kind of become eerie in our, uh, in our culture, in our, in our nation. Benedict Arnold. It's kind of like, ah. It's become synonymous with what? Traitor, treason. You're a Benedict Arnold. Well, if you know Benedict Arnold's story, uh, he, he was a uh, triumphant soldier, leader, and won many, many battles, great victories. But he didn't receive promotions and acknowledgement for what he had done. And so he became bitter in his spirit and he began secret negotiations with the British and he turned over a U.S. post for money. He made a deal and said, you give me some money and I'll turn over his post. So what Benedict Arnold was doing was he was trying to serve both armies. He was trying to serve both, both people. And if it, unfortunately Benedict Arnold, he actually he fled because they found out that he was committing treason. But as it was impossible for Benedict Arnold to serve both, both groups, both nations, it is impossible for a person to serve God and to serve money. You can't rightly give allegiance to both. You can't rightly love both. And that's what Jesus is saying in 24. He says, you can't serve both. You'll love one more than you love the other. You'll give allegiance to one more than the other. You can't equally hold them together. And so you will naturally hold one over the other. And, and it, it would be kind of like this. This is pretty outrageous, but in a marriage, you try and justify with your wife of, of committing an affair, with your husband committing an affair. Hey, babe, you know, I want to still keep you as, you know, my wife, but, I, you know, there's another girl down the street, but I can keep y'all both, right? Good luck, dude. Man. That's... That's an, that's an episode of Cops just waiting to happen. So, but see how outrageous that is? I, I can hold you as my wife there and, and still have this affair over here. It's okay. I can, hold, I can love you all the same. You can't. You can't. You can't love them the same. And, and particularly, let's, let's look at the Bible. Let's say Israel 
say Moses comes up Mount Sinai and he says, hey, uh, God, Yahweh, I, I have an idea. What if we, Israel, we try and serve you, we serve you, and we also serve Baal, the God of the Canaanites? Any thoughts on that? We just want the best of both worlds. Man, it'd be a different story for Israel right now. That's how outrageous it is. You cannot serve both. And that's what, that's what Moses says in, in Deuteronomy 6 with the Shema, what we've all heard. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he says in verse 14, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. He's saying, it's impossible for you to worship me and to worship the gods of other peoples. It's impossible. You will love one over the other. You will give allegiance to one over the other. It's impossible to worship both. And what is most interesting is that Jesus understands this. As we all know, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted. And we get this picture of Satan bringing him up to this high temple and he shows them everything shows them all these things says look hey if you worship me if you serve me if you bow down to me i'll give you all this and he shows jesus all these empires i'll give you all this what does jesus do he quotes deuteronomy 6 he says you shall serve he says this. I'll, I'll read it to you so i don't misquote it you shall worship the lord your god and him only shall you serve Jesus understands, and why does he quote Deuteronomy 6? Because he probably understands that, look, there's a temptation to worship wealth and possessions. There's a temptation to love these things more than God. And that's why he says, you shall not serve, you can't serve God and money. It's impossible for you to do these things. So Jesus understands this. And he also brings it to a point where he talks about slavery. He, he kind of alludes to it being like slavery. Is that we all think that we have a grip on our possessions and our money. We all think we, we got it by, by the coattails, that we, we, we can grip it, we can control it. But the danger is, is that the possessions possess you. That's the danger, is that in reality, if your goal is accumulating wealth and possessions, your possessions have already possessed you. You do not possess them. They have become your God, and they are your slave master. And I'll just say this, money is a brutal slave master. It'll come and go as it pleases, and it'll leave you empty and unfulfilled and unsatisfied. It is a brutal slave master. But God, as our Father, He invites us to come and take part in His riches, in His storehouse. And He says, come, you're invited in, partake. It's all yours, you're my children. But money is the brutal slave master that leaves us all unfulfilled. And then He gets... He says this, this is not just an issue of, of accumulation, being greedy, but it's an issue of worship. It's an issue of worship. Is it, who are you a slave to? Who do you really worship? Do you worship God or do you worship your money and accumulating wealth and possessions and riches? It's an issue of worship. Who do you worship? And the last point on your outline is this. The byproduct of accumulation, anxiety. And you might be like, what, what are we talking about? There's nothing about anxiety in here. Well, if you look at the next section, 25 through 34, it's about anxiety and worry. And do you think that is just by coincidence? Just by coincidence 
that the section on anxiety and worry comes after the section on money. Like, you just, ha- oh, it just happened to fall right there. Yeah, you know, the section on worry. It didn't. It's not coincidence. It's intentional. Because the cause of most anxiety and most worry is what? Money. It's money. So I'm not going to jump ahead. I'll, I'll preach that next week. But just see that the accumulation of money and possessions and the desire to be rich and wealthy, it will not lead you to being satisfied, but it will lead you to being anxious and worried and distrusting God. Now let me give you a couple applications as we think through all these points that, that it's about divided heart, divided focus, and a divided allegiance. I want to give you just some practical things you can do. And the first one is this. I want you to evaluate Evaluate your budgets. You might like, why evaluate your budgets? Because what you budget, what you set line items for, truly reveals what your heart loves. So evaluate your budgets and say, what does this say about my love? What does this say I love? And then do some introspection. Say, has my desire to make money and get money and wealth and possessions, has it made me stingy towards other people? Has it made me greedy and push people off who are actually in need and say, ah, no, this is mine. I keep this. The next point is this. I want you to contemplate. Contemplate on the idea of what would happen if everything was taken away from you. And no better picture of that is the flood that happened back in August. Is that people had their homes, all their furniture, everything taken away from them by water. And it's exactly what Jesus is talking about. If you put your, your hope and all your pride and your love in your home and your cars and your, your possessions within them, realize how easy they can be taken from you. So just contemplate that. Think, what would it be like if everything was taken from me? Would, the, would my life be consistent just with the abundance of my possessions? Is that all my life is? It's just about things. Next one is this. Pursue righteous acts versus earthly possessions. Because as we saw, one will benefit a heavenly reward that cannot be taken from you. And the other will leave you empty. And then prepare yourself. I, I don't want us to be so naive that to think, oh, I'll never be tempted with greed. I, I'm in a position in my life where I'm very comfortable. You know, I'm, I'm fine. We have lots of money. If our Savior was tempted with greed and accumulating wealth and possessions in Matthew chapter 4, how dare you think it could never touch you? How dare you think that? How dare you be so naive to say, I got this in the bag. I, I'm good. Greed doesn't. I don't have a problem with greed. I got enough money. If it, if it comes at our Savior, then don't be so naive to think that it won't come at you. And then think about the eternal implications of wanting to accumulate money. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5.5, 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, covetous an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He puts greed 
in the same line with all these other sins that it says they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If your love and your your life is about getting money and being wealthy, then you are not actually a disciple of Christ. You love money more than you love God. It's incompatible with Christian discipleship. And so I warn you that it's so tempting to make God lesser than money because money is tangible. You have it in your hands. You can check your bank account and see where you're at. But brothers and sisters realize that it comes as quick, it goes as quick as it comes. And it's dangerous to put love in it. But for you, maybe you're convicted and you feel like you've put your life into money and possessions and wealth. Let me say that there is grace in Jesus Christ. Even for the person who has coveted and committed idolatry with money all their life. There is grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come and he's died for even the greedy. He's come and died for even the greedy person who loves wealth and money, who's infatuated with having possessions, who thinks that life is better when you have more stuff. Jesus comes for you. He comes for you to save you from your sins and the sin of greediness. So I say, come, repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ because his rewards are so much better than houses and nice cars. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us, God. The Lord, in our sin, in our weakness, you come. And you save the ungodly, you save the enemies like us. Even enemies who struggle and covet and commit idolatry with money. We love money more than you. You come to save even people like that. So God, help us. Help us to fight this temptation to love money. Because every day we're tempted because the world says get more. More makes you happier. The one with the most toys at the end wins. God, let your word direct our thinking that as Christ's disciples, it is incompatible to be a disciple of Christ and to love life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the grace that you give us in Jesus Christ to save us from sins, even such as greediness.